Pick Podcast, Picks and Perspective with Chris Johnson. Yo! How are you, brother? Good, man. How are you? Good. Good to see you. Yeah, you too, man. How's it been going out there? Where are you living now? I'm up, I'm up north in Chico, California. Uh, it's my hometown area. Yeah, because you moved away from there for a little bit. You went to L.A. for a while, right? Yeah, well, I was in the Bay Area like for a long, long time uh, after, uh, after Seattle and Ampeg and all that stuff. I think I met you back then, right? Like when I was still at Ampeg. Yeah, and I think you were, I don't know if you were on the tail end of doing the EMG thing or. Oh, yeah, it was EMG. It was EMG. That's right, because we, we got to hang out in Austin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like it's been forever since not just seeing you, but like a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A hundred percent, man. I mean, how, I mean, there's so many things going on and everybody has uh, their career goals. Everybody has their hustle and their home life, their relationships and everything. And then, and then like touring comes to a halt and it's like, that's how we saw each other. Like was when people came through on tour and Nam's not the thing. That's the other place that we saw each other, you know? So that's a big part of it. Yeah. I realized that like the, the Nam and, and it's just such a big part of all our hangs because we're lucky enough to have like social jobs. So mm-hmm. I realized that without that, I don't hang out much. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause you're probably hustling, doing your craft, man. You know, all the time. Where are you? Are you in Texas still? Or are you? Did you come out to California? Because we were in Cali for a while, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm back and forth all the time. I got family in, in OC, so I'm able to, you know, go back and forth as needed, which is really like one of the only ways I was able to make this work, you know. Mm. So, you still uh, see Roberta? Yeah, all the time. That's what I'm talking about. When oh. I, I always say family, but just family friends. Yeah. So she is family. Yeah, to me she is. So I was just I forgot that's how I even know you. So yeah, that's that's yeah. it. I, with her and obviously since then i made a lot of friends around the area so i'll just stay with friends and stuff and mm-hmm. i'm there as much as i need to be and uh oh yeah big thanks to roberta for connecting us that's so cool yeah she's the best man and, and she and john have been a huge part of me like i said being able to kind of like grow my platform over the years because when i met you i was kind of first getting into expanding out of texas and, and trying to trying to do it you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Man, uh, well, congratulations. Uh, I love it. So before I even say that, I love what you put in your stories this morning or today in the last 24 hours. It's like everybody says congratulations when you get pregnant, but they don't know how many times you got fucked, you know, (laughs) to get there. So I'm sure you it's been a it's not been a um, it's not an overnight success. You've worked really hard for a long time to be where you're at. Yeah, I'm just saying congratulations. I've I've seen a big chunk of it, so yeah, you know. Step of it, because yeah, when I met you, I had first done. I won that Steve By contest, that Guitar Center contest, and that was huge for me. That was like, like, like this can happen. Like things I can actually, you know, do this. And I think I got into those contest things because I won several of them. And I think that was kind of the right time because after that, everybody started figuring out how to use bots and things to get their votes and it just kind of, it became, you know, it lost legitimacy. Sure. Um, yeah. Flash in the pan, like those internet contests were really big for a second and then it just went away. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's so many different ways to uh, kind of manipulate stuff online. Right. So like it, it, it can be difficult to know what's real there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there were like, you know, people that were horrible and I don't mean to talk trash, but then they had like a million votes. Like, yeah. <laughs> 
Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. Man, well, dude, like there's um so let, let me just recap. So like when I when I when I got to see you out in Austin, like you were playing to your own backing tracks and like slaying like that situation and then you won some some contests, right? And then you it was like shortly after there I felt like you got a gig with Orianti. Was it is that correct? Yeah. So, you know, I'd always done my own thing and, and I've always told everybody that regardless of if it, if that becomes my main job or if it just goes alongside, it's always good to have your own creative outlet because sometimes in the job you make money at, you can't always do your thing. Uh, right. But yeah, I, I, like I said, I started entering those internet contests and that was a, how I met Ori because Dave Stewart from the Arrhythmics was the one who put that, that contest together. So I ended up winning that and uh, I guess the idea was, you want me to kind of tell the quick of the story how that happened? Sure, please. So basically the idea was that they were going to do this contest called Be My Band, and they were going to take X artist, in this case Orianti, and put musicians with her from around the world and play a concert and see how it goes, right? So they took uh, me from Texas, a drummer from Brazil, a keyboardist from Italy, bass player from Luxembourg, everybody's from all over, Ori's Australian, you know? So... Um, it was really interesting to see that how music is the same in any language. There was a lot of, you know, language barriers. Not everybody spoke fluent English. So when it came together, we were like, wow, it really just worked. Unfortunately, that didn't work for reality TV, which was the idea of the thing. It was supposed to be a pilot for a reality TV show and there was no drama. So it didn't work. Everybody <laughs> <laughs> really got along too well. But um, I did this one show with, with Ori and, um, and with Dave Stewart and also Richie Sambora at the Tr uh, Troubadour. And it was very much like, thank you very much. Excellent job. Good luck to you. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> but then like a couple weeks later, I was at South by Southwest where you and I had been hanging out and uh, I got a call from Dave's assistant. Said, hey, Dave really liked you. Would you want to come play guitar for him? I'm like, yeah. So <laughs> I shot off to LA and I, I played for Dave for a couple of years and he started, you know, slowing things down a little bit. And Whitney, my wife, who, you know, she, noticed that Ori's very involved in her own social media. So she was like, why don't you just message her and, you know, just say hi. Okay. So I just shot her a DM like, Hey, keep me in the loop. If you need a guitar player, you know, step back, keep it light. She called me the next day and she says, Hey, yeah, the, I know like the next day, it's just like the guitar player I've had forever. His family has like a dentistry practice and he's going to go to school to be a dentist. So you're in. Okay. Wow. <laughs> that was it. And I've played with her since. And that was like, 2015 or something so yeah okay okay yeah so I, got, I had it flipped i was thinking that dave stewart came afterward but uh but he was kind of the the catalyst and the bridge to ori and all that because of the contest that's so cool man oh introduced me to her but then i played with him and then came back to playing with her right yeah. and, D and dave in his own right is such a legend and cool through the whole eurythmics and Andy linux everything all that uh history to to go out and i saw so many i remember seeing so many photos from you guys being on tour and the the stage set and the theatrics seemed to be really high on that particular tour am i right with that dave is, is a super uh creative guy like he'll set out to do 20 different things which is more than most people do at a time and he'll end up doing 40. he just like he's just a creative you know the ringmaster is what we used to call him you know he's like a he just he knows how to reel in a bunch of talent and do all these cool things with them and he's a great facilitator and a, and a very wise man when dave would start to talk it was like 
it's almost like everybody would take a knee and listen, you know, because you know some wisdom's going to come out. And he would never speak up like loudly. He'd always like, you know, he'd start to speak very calm. And everyone, okay, listen, listen up. <laughs> it was really funny. So mm. he was always. Man, that's, you've, you've been blessed by a master in that sense, right? You know, like you had somebody yeah. kind of help, uh, you know, guide the way in a way. Like so you get some of these people that you get to work with. Like, I think that's the, the great thing about getting a gig uh other than the obvious th qualities of like oh i'm playing with somebody famous that's got like a great history and in a great catalog and all that stuff but then to to take a knee with them and yeah. go be all ears like tell me what's up like let's let's get it let's get it done right you know yeah which you know i think it's kind of cool that in some ways you know i didn't start doing these like bigger gigs and stuff until I was old enough to appreciate that because when I was like 21 and I was playing in rap metal bands and you know and partying real hard like you weren't gonna tell me anything you know <laughs> who you were I was like yeah but um yeah at that point when I met Dave I was it was very humbling and and I knew how to listen up and how to learn not just from what he would say but just from the experience just by taking it in and you know stop and smell the roses so to speak right yeah yeah and so you've been doing the, the uh, you're still part of the Ori, Ori's band, right? At this point? Yeah, still working with Ori. Uh, I love her to death. She's every bit as nice as you'd hope she'd be. I, I, had you met her? Do you know her at all? Uh, in passing at, at a NAMM show, but I don't know her, you know. Yeah. I would she, love to meet her someday. That'd be great. Yeah. No, she's like always looking out for everybody and make sure everybody's okay. And she, she's super sweetheart. And that's, you know, sometimes that's hard to find in our business. And uh, time. Yeah. So I still work with her and um, everybody I've worked with, you know, on and off through the years, she's always been a constant and mostly because we developed a friendship, you know, like we get along really well and that's nice. You know, it's nice to have that. Yeah. There's nothing like having a good boss and, and somebody that you can you know, look up to that looks out for you and, you know, uh, ha has a sense of you as a person in mind as they're working with you, not just, Oh, he's a guitar player. Yep. You stand over there in, in out off stage. You don't have any connection. You know, that's, that's probably the worst kind of gig I'd imagine at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always say like any job can be cool or suck. It's really about the people you're working with. Like you might be, you know, hustling boxes at UPS, but if the guys you work with are really cool, like this isn't so bad, you know, but then you might be on stage in arenas, but then as soon as you get off stage, your, your, your boss or whoever's like yelling and throwing things, you're like, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the truth, man. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm interested in knowing, um, like, cause you just got this gig with Tommy vexed. That's yeah. freaking a big deal too. And, uh, and so you're able to, to rock two gigs. I don't know how, uh, you know, active Ori is at the moment, but, but Tommy's seems to be pretty, pretty active. And like, uh, you guys are hitting, hitting the road, like fairly often you're doing it going out again soon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like starting in July all the way through most of the summer. And the way I'm hearing is we're, we're booked pretty much the rest of the year. So it's funny because, you know, we, we went for a while without touring and working. So we thought it would gradually build back up, but then I got this call from Tommy and it was just like, okay, go. <laughs> so we just wow. took, and yeah, I've been busy and, um, you know, playing with multiple artists. We'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm blessed to have that option, you know, so hopefully things line up to where I can do things with Ori and Tommy and, and just keep it going. But right now, yeah, it's looking good, man. And it's funny how you don't realize sometimes, you know, our business is very much word of mouth and networking and connections that you make in the past that you didn't see coming back. So I met Tommy 
uh, like I think it's 2018, I was touring with Diamante and uh, we were opening for Bad Wolves. And I guess at the time I didn't realize it, but at the time I was sort of auditioning for Tommy just, you know, cause he remembered me from that and we've toured together a few times. So he was like, oh yeah, Neil's great. <laughs> so it worked out. That's awesome. Uh, so I think uh, it's interesting cause there's so much going on like around, like I just talked to, uh, to Kyle with bad wolves and like, you know, they're, they're working on redoing things over on that side. And, um, you know, there seems to be some, some controversy, you know, with Tommy in that situation. I don't really know, really know the details cause nobody wants to talk about it, you know? Um, but there obviously is like a political divide or something there. I think it, se it seems like, and, um, I'm just curious, like, is that, I mean, it seems like you fit in fine with Tommy. So you kind of have similar beliefs, similar feelings around, around things. And is that kind of why you guys are friends and it's worked out or. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, you know, I know the bad rules guys like the rest of the band. I always really liked those guys like Tommy and, and whatever happened between them, uh, you know, that's none of my business. I just, you know, I got a call Tommy and I get along pretty well. And I think the thing with him is he's got a lot of really strong beliefs and strong personality and you know, whether I believe in everything he's about or not, I think we we come together on enough points to where like we really get along well on those things. And, you know, he's controversial, like he's a controversial rock star. Imagine that, right? It's just like yeah, it's yeah, fine. Yeah. Part of what he does. So as long as it's it's working and, and he he were respectful to each other, then you know, and I think I've done enough gigs as let's call it a hired gun, you know, where I've played with different people as a you know sort of a contract guy or whatever you know i'm not like an official band member that i know my role i don't try to push too hard i get in where i fit in and you know i don't i'll push as far as i can but without overstepping i found a good balance with that and and i don't know if that's um good or bad but it works for me you know it doesn't work for everybody but i found my place in this and and i i haven't talked to the battles guys much since I started playing with Tommy. So I don't, I don't think there's any ill will from them. I think they understand I'm a guy doing a gig, but whatever's going on between him and the guys, hopefully they get it sorted out soon and we can all, you know, keep moving. Cause I know we all want to do the same thing. We all just want to play music. So. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I see that. Uh, I don't, I, I love that uh, the guys, I mean, the bit that I've talked to the bad wolves guys, you know, they're, they're, they, they like, like refuse to bad mouth the situation. They refuse to like get involved with it. There's like, I don't, you know, I don't have any, not going to even plead the fifth, you know, cause like we wish him well, like that's cool, whatever, you know? And so I'm like, okay, cool. And I think your stance makes a lot of sense, you know, uh, especially as a hired gun, as you say, you know, um, you're, you're a consummate professional. You always have been. And uh, that's part of what your, your secret to success, so to speak, you know, and, um it's it's and and you kind of put it right i think because that's kind of how i read it too it's like i think yeah you know outside of whatever details around tommy's beliefs uh uh politically or whatever um i think that he's onto something with just being a a, a bit of a, a shock rock pol polarizing person because when you have strong beliefs then it makes people think you know, and I think that that's that's actually, you know, it's a tactic, whether he's doing it intentionally or not. Um, it, it, it's something that is a part of who he is and how he performs and how he presents himself to the world. And so that that creates a, an emotional response, you know, uh, um, either way, you know. Yeah, so it's cool. It's cool that you get to you get to join in and be a part of this. It is. And I think you're every bit right. If he was mild mannered, that wouldn't be very entertaining, would it? 
<laughs> it's like, no. You know, yeah. So, you know, I fully expected that when signing up to work with him, like, you know, this guy's a big personality, strong beliefs, but part of why it works and you, you'll get this because we've talked about this many times growing up, listening to Pantera, being big Pantera fans, you know, like the best band ever. Right. And Phil mm. and Selma always had strong opinions and strong beliefs. And of course, <laughs> You don't agree with everything he's about, but man, he believed it. And it just made you like, like, man, okay, let's go. You know, <laughs> like, I don't even, I'm not really into that, but I love the energy. And Tommy's a lot like that. He's got so much energy and so much conviction for what he's about that I'm, I'm behind it, you know? And, and if it rubs people the wrong way to some people, um, I'm fine with that because you're not going to make all the people happy all the time. <laughs> it's just, you know, how it is. That's the truth. And I'm with you on that. Like it, it's interesting later in in life to reflect, in, uh, especially in the in in the now, on my pan, my love for Pantera. I still I'll never give them up. You know, like they're my favorite. They're like one of the all time favorite bands. It's like Dimebag and Steve I raised me. You know, like so that's just the way it is. But uh, at the same time, you know, like looking back uh, as time has gone and how society has shift has shifted and kind of. You look back and you're like, oh, it's a different. I, I see this whole thing with a different filter, you know, than I did before. It doesn't really change my my emotional content because it is what it is. But I do the adult, more evolved me goes. Interesting. I wonder if I would get into this now, you know, if it were presented to me right now as brand new, would it be my thing, you know, <laughs> like or was that like it's like a, a nostalgic time based thing you know when you were 16 and really mad at your dad you know like that's when it like pantera was off the hook you know i needed that anger you know i don't know but yeah and that's a good point i mean it's it's funny how music often say is the soundtrack to our lives right and there's something for every part of it and yeah i mean nothing nothing resonates with you like the things you first remember hearing that made you feel a certain way at a certain time um so yeah, I mean, I, I listen to newer bands and I think this comes with being, you know, getting older and stuff. You listen to bands and I keep relating it back to, oh, that sounds like Pantera or something. So you always go back to those things because those are the first impressions you had of that. So I don't know. That's, that's a good point. You know, I think I like to think if Pantera just came out today, I'd be super into it, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no, there'd be no denying that we'd all be fans of Dime and the whole thing. I think it just it's it's the kind of the nature of like you what you were describing with with tommy and phil like the polarizing opinions part right i think it's that part of it that uh the musical part man all day vinnie vinnie paul rex brown and dimebag like all day long i will never give it up like that's i'm so i'm it's in my blood but yeah and, and i and i was i would and i'm not i'm not even like saying anything bad about phil at this point because I've, I've hung out with phil a handful of time full of times and he has been so good and so gracious to me and um and everyone around you know like and i'm sure tommy is too i'm sure he's a good great dude in person uh but they they like to say little things and people get all oh that's it you know i'm giving it up you know like you you can't talk like that in in the modern pc world and it's like okay um so yeah it is what it is but i i i do understand the kind of uh the strong personality and and kind of standing for something or you know, falling for anything type of thing, you know, there's kind of a, a little bit of that vibe in both of them. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, there's something about metal. I mean, I think, you know, regardless of what genre Tommy could have been in musically, uh, being more of a, like a hard rock and metal artist, I think really lends itself to that type of 
strong opinions and against the norm and being like, you know, not caring what people think, you know, the not giving a fuck, you know, I think that's a really strong part of what metal's about overall. So whether, you know, we all agree on the same subject, I love the attitude, you know? <laughs> yeah, I do too. I do too. I think, and, and what I will say is because like one of the main polarizing things is like vaccines, right? Like that's one of the things that c comes up. Right. And, um, People ask me about it uh, relatively often. My friends like, "Hey, you getting vaccinated?" I'm like, "Hey, I'm not getting, I'm not getting it right away. Like, I'm happy that you're getting it." Um, and they're like, "Well, why wouldn't you get it right away?" And, I, and then they want to get into a conversation about. It. I'm like, "Hey, I'm not, I'm not trying to like give you, you know, uh, 20 questions about why you got it, you know, like, uh, and I'm not because I'm not anti-vax, but uh, because it's done a lot of good for society and for human history, right? But you know, there, I understand why people would have, uh, you know, hesitancy in this day and age under the circumstances. So I can't fault anyone for making the, a decision for themselves and what's best for them and their family, you know? Um, so it's, uh, I think that, that having somebody like Tommy uh, speak up about it, at least makes people think, Right. And I think that that if nothing else, well, no matter what side you're on, I'm like, hey, thanks for for questioning the the, the most common narrative so that some people can try and think for themselves. You know, Absolutely. I mean, because at the end of the day, that's all you can really think for, you know, and it's like I can't force other people to think how I think, but I can control how I feel and make my own decisions. And that's that's what he's promoting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. And, that, and I can I can get behind that. Um, so dude, I, I just, I, I have to almost kind of apologize. I just now realized that you're doing this, these cool, this, uh, story of row. Can yeah. you tell me about this? Because I listened to, uh, the four tracks that are out. Um, and I assume that this must be like, is this a whole album that you have that you're releasing and tell it me more about it. Right. Okay. So the, basically the idea, uh, when I was a kid, I had a, uh, I don't want to date myself too much, but we had a Spider-Man vinyl record, right? It was like a, an action comic uh, album that, you know, you'd open it up and inside the the vinyl, you know, they always had like all the liner notes and cool stuff. So they had a Spider-Man comic inside it. When you'd open it up, you could put on the record and listen along as you were reading the comic and it would have like voice actors and it was like listening to a comic. So I'll get you, Spider-Man. Not today, Green Goblin. Bah, bah, bah. And then it'd go into a song, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. And it was really corny. But as a kid, I was like, this is awesome, you know? And that always kind of stuck with me. And I don't remember hearing anything else like it since then. Maybe the idea just didn't catch or whatever. But, you know, doing the type of music I've done personally, like my own stuff, has been largely instrumental rock. You know, a lot of guitar playing. And that, that appeals to musicians. But I thought, you know, maybe if I did something that was more uh, inclusive, think bigger, you know, in terms of like a story that would get people involved. And that's what I did. I wrote this whole sci-fi story called Story of Roe. And it's about this uh, this young man that, that has a uh, like a robotic arm and it's based in the future where everybody's getting these really crazy robotic implants. And the company that builds them say, oh, it's fun. They're great. But then they they have this side effect where people start going crazy from them and it creates uh, a lot of turmoil. So in some ways, a little bit like, you know, not too far off from, you know, it's a skewed reality, but it could could happen. So 
Well, that's what actually what I was going to lead into was that I, as I was listening to it, there was these parallels to like people's concerns about vaccine and stuff, stuff that we're dealing with now. And I was like, whoa, did you write this before, during the pandemic or prior? Or like, tell me about that part of it. I started this album in like February of 2020. So right before they started saying, hey, there's something going around. Let's all stay home. So it was right before the pandemic happened. I was writing the script. And then as things started unfolding, after I'd finished it, I was like, this is crazy. Like, it's really, you know, it's like watching, it's like being from Texas, like myself and watching King of the Hill. Like, it's funny to a lot of people, but they're like, well, close to home. I know those guys, you know, like, I know people just like that. So it kind of started happening in a weird way. And uh, yeah, kind of interesting. But, you know, the end result ended up being something that I felt like was very entertaining and more than just a guitar player way, you know, the way the story goes in and out of the songs and, um, you know, whether it catches on and, and, you know, goes, a, goes to be some big thing. I don't know. It, it still might, but in the meantime, it was a passion project that I'm very proud of. I think it's probably the coolest thing I've done on my own. I like it a lot. So how many more parts are there or is this, is it just four parts? Well, for now I've done the four parts and I'm just, I think I'm, I'm kind of going to wait and see what I end up doing with it, you know, like, cause I, I put out a comic book that went along with it. I forgot to mention that kind of like the Spider-Man thing. So you can listen to the whole album. You can read along with the comic book. And um, I think I'm going to start trying to market it into some different ways than you might do a regular album. You know, of course I try to promote on the socials and everything, but you know, maybe, maybe there's room for me in the Comic-Con world or like the anime world. Like there's a, those are huge crowds that, are super into fantasy and, and sci-fi culture. And I feel like metal kind of coincides with that in a lot of ways, you know, like we grew up listening to like Maiden and, and uh, Dio and it's about dragons and wizards and all this crap. Right. So in a way, I feel like that, that, that comic world and like Marvel and DC movies are so popular now. And then metal, it just, it all came together for me. So I think I want to start trying to, let those people know about this and it, it could be a thing you know if they if they feel it i'm feeling it let's go i'll write more of them <laughs> yeah yeah okay so that's cool now tell me did you are you an artist do you draw did you draw the comic book as well or did some you hire somebody to to do the comic book we we hired a, a friend to do it so whitney again my wife her company uh true lion she does a lot of like web design and social media um management and printing uh merch for for bands and venues and restaurants and all kinds of things so she's like an all-inclusive creative hub so um and marketing and everything so her graphic design team like they're like hey this is really cool can we do this like, yeah you're you know let's keep it in house so they jumped on it and we gave him some sketches and some things that you know i'm an okay visual artist but uh he he flipped it out and it looks really cool so yeah it's nice to just kind of know those people you know to to network yeah. with and I had a bunch of friends come in and do like the voiceovers for the different actors and the different parts, um, you know, and help me with the, the production. And, and so earlier when I said do it by myself, I mean, the concept and a lot of it, yes, but I did have a lot of help from friends that just thought it was cool and wanted to get involved. So that was really nice. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's where I love hearing. I mean, it's cool when somebody can do it all on their own, but I, I'm always impressed. I, I feel like I, it's, 
it's equally impressive to find somebody that uh, knows what they do well and they they write the scaffolding they, they they write the outline and then they they hire or elicit response and 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 um you know participation from people that can do those other little pieces way better at a higher level for them and kind of it's like it's why you know like you're a guitar player, but you're probably not as good of a bass player as you are as a, as a guitar player. So, man, you better hire a bass player for that good tune, right? Um, I mean, maybe you are. I don't know. Some people are great bass players, too. But, um, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, just knowing how to um, get 100%. I don't want to half-ass anything, you know. So, yeah, just reached out to the best of, of everybody I knew that did these things. And the guy uh, that did the bass playing is my friend Matthew Dennis. He actually did bass guitar um mixed it and did the narration voiceover so he was like a huge part of it as well and i know him through playing with diamante so um yeah and it, it's just a, a wide world of people we know that i just i was able to call on all these great talents so pretty cool well the mix sounds great the production sounds great your playing is off the hook dude like that's what i i was just that the thing so i have to just say i was i'm gonna like just blow you up a little bit like for those people that haven't seen neil live like uh doing his own thing it's one thing to see neil do uh to work with orianti and, and dave stort and stuff but i've seen just enough of you doing your own thing and i know the passion that you have uh and i know that that like you know i'll, I'll just equate it again to like our, our being fans of pantera and how we saw them you know play live and do all this stuff that it, it really translates to how you your body language and how you present yourself on stage you've got uh got great sense of of stage presence and and playing for the crowd and and i when i when i think about uh what i'm hearing on this new project i'm like man i would just love to see you shred these these melodic licks there's so many great uh melodies and lead lines all throughout and, and, and how it kind of intersperses with this storyline is, it was just a really pleasant surprise for me because it's like, oh, cool, man. This is like, this is, a, this is unique. It feels original. And there's just, so, for a musician like myself that loves guitar and, you know, it helps that I know you, but, you know, like I'm connect, I'm, I'm hooked. I'm like, where's the next, where's the next chapter, bro? <laughs> like, I want, and I need to get the comic book. So I didn't recognize that. So often if there's those, if those are available still, I would still like to get a copy of that so that I could check it out. Yeah. You can get it on my website. I'll shoot you the link and it's, yeah, you can, what I did was get the, uh, the tracks, the four tracks separately. You can listen to them all separately on, you know, streaming platforms, but uh, on my website, I put up a link to where you can listen to the tracks all together as one long thing. So it's like a 20 minute track of the whole album and it comes with a comic book too. So it's like an all inclusive, you know, it's a good thing to like, even if you don't have the comic book in front of you, I feel like having it all as one long song, you can put it on when you're driving somewhere. And uh, it's it's a bit like, uh, you remember when Dream Theater put out, Im oh, not Images and Words, what was the long 20 minute one? Change of Seasons. Uh Change of seasons, yeah. It was one 20 minute song, or I guess I could have gone rush, you know, but like one long song that just kind of takes you on this journey. And uh, I think that's a cool idea. That's actually probably the maybe the, the closest equi uh, thing to equate this project to in a weird way, even though you don't sound like dream theater. Um, thankfully, because you, you know, there's already dream theater, right? Like, uh, we don't need another one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like the, the, the narration kind of in a way like would be, I remember um, my favorite album still is Awake. Like I'll never not feel like Awake is not like my favorite album, but um, 
where some of the sample type narration stuff that dream theater would use to help move their stories along it kind of seems somewhat familiar and like you cross it with like a robocop or a, not um something uh, more dystopian and futuristic you know a lot of people were saying blade runner yes that that was what actually what i was reaching for yeah, yeah, and and What's interesting too, I just, just as a side note, <laughs> was that in, in the narration, uh, I can't remember which track it was, might have been clones or uh, I don't know, but there, the part of it was like the, the conversation between the characters uh, was like, oh, you know, everybody's getting these implants, everybody's getting, you know, trying to, but not everybody gets the twist, right? And like, which was like the, must be the side effect from some of this this body alteration that's happening in this futuristic world. And one of the things that gets dropped is like, you can you can change sexes, you can change races, you yeah. know, like or something like that. So it was like, there was this like hint of uh, potential of uh, a, a, a movement of transraciality in the in, in in the future you know like could be part robot and any kind of anything you know and so that that that's an interesting com concept and thing that that doesn't really get discussed much these days but you could see where 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 we're at from here how it could potentially move towards that right absolutely you know and, and that's it even though it's a story about the future it was inspired by things that are kind of happening now you know people were able to change so much about themselves and there's also so much conflict based on our differences that I thought, you know, there's, there's more to this story. Like, how is that scenario going to play out in the long run with, with humanity, right? So I tried to go a little deep without going too too far in, but like hint at it, you know, provoke thought like we were saying. So, yeah, good job at that. Good job because it, it, definitely, it definitely does that trick. I think you did a, a good job of writing the line there with that. Yeah, yeah I felt like. And originally the script was so long. It was like a movie script. So Whitney was like, we got to pare this down. <laughs> so mm. she helped just get the important bits. Sometimes I think, and you'll get this, you know, sometimes as a, as a creative mind, we're wired a little different than a lot of people. And we, we think in, in these terms, but the way that other people will digest that, sometimes you need to, to cut the, trim the fat and figure out how, is, how are people going to get what you're trying to say. So it's good to have other people to bounce these ideas off of, because otherwise it would have been an epic, like three hour thing. <laughs> so. I, I definitely re I recognize uh, that in myself too. I, I definitely, in, as in I'm, as I've been writing like more, um, just like I've been writing more and doing more hip hop projects and stuff with a friend and, and, and doing stuff for myself that I, I come up with these big concepts and I'm like, oh, so this concept and it seems apparent to me, but then as I share it with certain people, I'm like, I guess I got to explain this. And if I have to explain it to you, then I don't know if that it stands on its own, you know, like, um, yeah, those type of thoughts. Around yeah. Communication, so it's tough, you know, communication is, is the key and you know, what we lack in words, we try to do musically. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm glad we have that. It's funny. Sometimes things like that on the flip side of it, the communication sometimes can be hard for creative people to, well, let's say normal people, I don't know. But uh, on the flip side, what we do isn't something that's natural to everyone. Not everybody hears notes or can create music. They enjoy it, but they don't know where to start with it. So it's interesting because it's so natural to guys like us, but that's what makes it special, you know? Yeah, like I, I will, I will 
be obsessing over. I'm like, oh, I picked this beat and this particular thing, everything, because it's energetically in alignment with the lyrics and all the stuff. And like my friends, like, that's cool, man. But like, no, you know, I mean, three people might get that, you know, or might might care about that. I'm glad that you care about them. It's cool. That there's a story behind it. But, uh, you know, if, if wide appeal is what you're looking for, then uh, you have to jump in. You have to kind of edit it all down and find the the, the, the real gems and use those pieces uh, to move your story along, so to speak. Right. And to, you know, but it's cool that you have like a, a big script outside of this because man, maybe this thing goes somewhere and they're like, hey, we're going to make a move like a, like an animated movie out of this. Yeah. You know, and you're like, hey, I got more material, friend. <laughs> hey, if you're listening, yeah, buy, buy it up. Let's do this. Yeah, I would love yeah. that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, because anime, like we said, the, that culture and animation and everything, it's so huge now. And I think it always has been, but it's just gotten bigger and bigger. And video games is another part of it. They're so huge now. I mean, we grew up with 8-Bit Mario, and now they look like real life. That's crazy. If we'd have seen that when we were kids, we'd have, everyone would have flipped out. They'd have thought it was from Mars, you know? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So the whole sci-fi culture thing is, is uh, that's a big part of, I feel like who I am along with music, you know, it's always been a big interest to me. So anyway. That's great, man. Well, I'm uh, kudos on that, on that project and, and, and bring it to life. Cause uh, it's, it's a neat, unique piece. And I, I encourage anybody listening to, to go check out Neil's uh, four tunes that are up, that are all about the story of Roe. And uh, is it neilswanson.com? Neilswansonofficial.com. Yeah. Okay. Official.com. Yeah. So that you can check out all of the music together as like a 20 minute story and grab the comic book and the whole deal. Um, yeah, I'd love to, in switching gears, I'd love to, uh, if you have a, a couple of your latest guitars, show off a couple of things that you're all stoked with, because I know you've been playing some kind of more metal guitars with uh, with Tommy. So what do you got to show us? So um, for those of you who have followed me for a while at all, like, you know, I've been playing uh, Charvel for a number of years. This is like one of my main ones, you know, six string super strat, basically. And I played strats forever. And you, you knew me when I was just playing modded strats. And Charvel stuck out to me because they were like, oh, these are the same kind of classic Fender look that I love, but they had all the modern features and I didn't have to put a bunch of time and money into modding them. They were just good to go. Like a lot of them are just stock. I just use them how they send them and they're great. Um, but uh, I got this call from Tommy and uh, like, okay, well, most of our songs are in drop G. Oh, crap. Okay. <laughs> so seven string guitar, extended range, anything isn't something I've done a lot of. I mean, I've always gone like drop D because, you know, Pantera. But um, seven string was kind of different to me. I tried it twice before in my life. I got a uh, an original. I found up. I was at a guitar shop up in Seattle in like early 2000s, and I found a uh, original Ibanez Universe, the Steve Vai with the swirl paint. And it was original like 90s Universe, right? And the guy wanted like 500 bucks for it because at the time, like I think – and that just wasn't what everybody was doing. So I grabbed it up and uh, I, yeah, I can't. So I turned around and I sold it and I made like $2,000 off of it because, you know, somebody wanted it, but it wasn't for me. Um, but this time, okay, I'm going to do it. So uh, my my friends at, at Charvel or Fender, well, you know, Fender owns Charvel, Jackson, the whole uh, Fender family. And they sent me this guy. So this is the Misha Mansoor Juggernaut. And uh, this is a very cool guitar, and it was, this is my first seven string uh, in terms of what I've been doing with Tommy. And 
it's a really cool guitar. It's it's cut uh, a lot different than the Strat style body. So like a way deeper cutaway. And um, one of the biggest differences I noticed while playing it was the nut width is it's a little smaller. The strings are a little closer together than I'm used to. Um, so on top of having the additional string, that was an adjustment for me. Um, but it's super comfortable for certain things. It kind of reminds me of how Music Man guitars, the spacing or something just seems smaller to me than what I'm used to. Yeah, that's well, that's cool. It's it's definitely I can I've definitely picked up guitars where it's either wider or more narrow, and you're like, wait a second, this is gonna take me a minute to like readjust because all my muscle memory is like a little bit off. Yeah, yeah. Like after a day or two of playing it, I'm like, okay, this is great, but it did take me a second to kind of adjust to it. Um, but this was kind of the first one uh, that I ended up with, and shortly after that, we uh, we decided that with Tommy, we were gonna go to. Um, more a more specific like black and gold theme you know as far as like all the marketing and the stage and everything so like a black and gold okay so started looking at, at guitars and figured out that the uh, angel vivaldi uh seven string the charvel seven string which is the only seven they currently make um black and gold and it's an awesome guitar and you know tommy and Angel go back as well as some of the other guys in Tommy's crew. They've known each other a long time. So let's just get on the phone with him. They call up Angel like, hey, you know, Neil's playing guitar with us. And he's he's a Charvel artist. And we just thought, you know, um, this might be a cool guitar for him. And Angel's like, dude, yeah, I would love to see him playing that. So uh, Angel and and Mike Tempesta over there at Charvel. And, you know, we all just kind of conferred. And they, they got one out to me. And I got to tell you, man, this is like by far my new favorite guitar. This thing is super sick. Oh man, it is so dope. It's so up my alley too. You know, like it's it's the strat thing and the, the spacing's, you know, more kind of what I'm used to, I guess, but with the extra string, got the cool reverse head. Um, but it's a dinky body, kind of like what I'm used to again, the maple fretboard. It's just super me. And uh, I really, really love it. And thank you to to Charbel and Angel specifically for for helping us out with this one. So there you go, black and gold, super classic. That's that's so cool, Neil. It does it it does suit you a lot better, uh, for sure. When I see that, it's like an extension of what you've already been doing for a while, and it's uh, it you know that reverse headstock. There's something about that little the, the thing that that does it for me. It kind of it kind of goes with like your your hair. I don't know what it is like. Like there's something about geometric <laughs> <It> really works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that and how do you does the does the Misha have uh the the misha's signature pickups in it too yeah they're uh i think on that one because that's the the pro series model they're jackson versions of his pickups so does he have like a signature pickup with somebody yeah bare knuckle makes his his like top of the line he's got two different signatures so i was going to say if he if it were his actual signatures compared i'd like to hear your thoughts around the comparison between those and the angel vivaldi uh demarzios right but no, those are like some Jackson pickups, and they're pretty decent. A lot of times, first thing I do when is I'll replace pickups with Duncan's, which I've been using for a long time. But lately, I've just kind of been rolling with what they put in there just because there's a reason they put it in there, because it suited how they heard it. So the pickups that are in that one are actually pretty great. And these are DiMarzio's, which, like I said, I mostly use Duncan's, but these are also really great. I like the way they respond, and, you know, the gold is is really cool. So I don't, I don't feel like I need to do a lot to this guitar. Um, I, you know what also I was talking to a friend lately, he uses the, uh, the Fishman fluids pickups and everything. And yeah, like I had a set of those in one guitar once and I thought they were cool, but 
Um, I don't know if maybe I just didn't know, understand the wiring options. So I think I might try some of those again and do some different things. You know, as you know, pickups can change your your tone so much in a guitar. So big time. Uh, I don't know. Time it's time to play around with some stuff. But this has been the main axe here lately to answer your question. And are you is that uh do you have the trim floated on that or is it kind of sitting on the body? Okay, so um I'm not a big tremolo guy, particularly once I started doing more like hired gun stuff, I needed stability rather than parlor tricks, right? So I started blocking the bridges on all my guitars. So recently, I'm glad you asked, I actually reached out to FU Tone and they make all the the upgrade parts for like bridges and Floyd Rose guitars and everything. And they got me out some parts and I, I did the uh, the trim stabilizer, the trim block. So it this thing is blocked, it doesn't move. And it was such an easy install. And um, I've also got some parts that I'm gonna install on a Floyd guitar, like a a new block and some, you know, better string lock screws and titanium parts. So I'm really excited to, um, to upgrade, you know, that, that guitar and also got this one. And, you know, so big ups to, to FU tone because they actually were really easy to put in and made a big difference. Very cool. That's cool to know. Awesome, yeah. man. Thanks for sharing that with us. I really appreciate that. Congratulations on those guitars. And, you know, I got to point out also, you might see behind me, I've got the, the Rhodes V on the wall. So that's a, like an early 90s, maybe late 80s uh, Jackson Rhodes V. And that was my first good guitar I got when I was like 15. And it's been with me forever. And uh, so getting with the Fender brands like Charvel and Jackson and Fender, it, it's always been up my alley. You know, so this was a kind of a cool thing because I already had this history with them. So I'm definitely enjoying that aspect of it too. It's kind of like when people get tattoos, they, they have this story that means something to them. So, you know, it is with us a lot of time. Guitars are that same vibe. So, yeah, we, we like, we like our stories. We like our nostalgia and how we got here. And I mean, that's what this whole podcast is about. It's like, here, tell me some stories about how you got here and do the thing and why you do, tell me why you do the thing, because uh, it's like we want to we want to have the dots connected and uh, and if I know why you're doing what you're doing, then it somehow enamors me more with your story and with with your trajectory, right? I think that's part of it, at least. It is because, like you said, there's these guitars are such an extension of who we are. It, it makes sense, and there's a reason that you know all these iconic players play the instruments they do it's not because somebody paid them a bunch of money it's not like a sports thing where nike hey here's a million dollars wear our shoes these guys play these guitars because it's what inspires them you know um oh i got another one for you sometimes you got to have a little calm to the storm it can't be metal all the time i mean it can be but it's nice to have a little uh diversity so we've got the fender acoustasonic oh cool man you, you digging that thing dude at first when I when I saw them promoting these things real heavily, I was like, it's cool, but it might be like gimmicky or whatever. And then, you know, I got this one because I was playing kind of a cheapo old acoustic and we kept getting feedback through the monitors. So we picked this up to help eliminate that. And I don't pick up a lot of guitars nowadays and say, wow, but dude, wow, it's really, really cool. It's thin, it's lightweight. You can go electric, you know, as the pickup, but the acoustic tones in this thing are insane. It sounds huge. And uh, but it plays like an electric. It's really great, really, really great. That's really cool. Yeah, they they definitely hit it hard with that uh, marketing campaign because like everybody on the planet that was a reasonable guitar player showed up with one. So yeah. I mean, hey, that's that's the uh, if you got the money to throw around and 
give out guitars, man. Like, yeah, that's how you get people to see it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, but that's it. I couldn't see it. So I thought, let's give it a try. And it's really cool. And I've seen a few things like this on the market. And I think that's where the future of, of guitars are headed. You know, people are, are getting more and you tell, you know, you tell me you've been in the, in the business a long time. It seems like things are getting more um, efficient and uh, particularly for travel and stuff. Like another thing I'm using, I'm just going to talk gear the whole time now. Okay. Uh, I've been using the, the boss GT 1000, right? This has been my pedal board for years now. And I love it. You know, since it came out, uh, the guys at boss got, got one over to me and it's been great. You know, you go straight into the PA and I, I also love my orange amps. I'm an orange artist and I, I love them to death, but sometimes when you just got to do is quick fly out gigs and you don't have an amp at your disposal, these are great. But what did they do to up the game past that? They made a mini. So this last one, Tommy, this is the GT 1000 core and it's the same thing, same power and everything processing power, but it's just fewer knobs. And it's funny because sometimes, you know, how it is with pedal boards when you have a bunch of things and a bunch of buttons, you feel like you have to use them all. So you start assigning things and you have all these things that maybe I don't even really need to use those. So when I had only three, I realized, you know, I really don't need that many patches. I just, the ones I need, you know, it's like trying to That's play a with three strings instead of six, you know? <laughs> right. You get the, uh, when you reduce the amount of options you get, you tend to get more creative with the handful of things that you have, right. Versus, trying all these different things out and then kind of making a mess or muddy in the water a little bit. That's cool, man. I, I didn't know that they came out with that many. I'm, I'm a fractal guy. Uh, I, I have my fractal uh, three and, um, and yeah, you're, I think you're right. I, just to further your point that the things, the cool thing about uh, modern technology and, and us getting older and wiser and the whole thing is that we get, we, we have all these time. We've had all this time to see uh, where, you know, like, I started off with a PV bandit, you know, like an old, like PV one twelve or whatever. And a, and a, and a DOD death metal pedal. Like, I think that was what I had. I had the blood splatter on it and shit like that. And I was, I was cranking the gain. I, you know, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I was cranking the gain on the PV and cranking the gain on that. And just like all this feedback was like, you know, it was like, I, I just want to go big with this, but um, yeah, the, the so much of what's happening in the guitar market, right, it happens to be looking at um, the trends, you know, and, and a lot of it started with Eddie Van Halen. I mean, if we really are honest with ourselves, right, like that dude started modern strats in his garage or wherever he did it. And then everybody was like, oh, that's kind of like why Charvel is a thing. That's why all these other things are, you know, they had to have different kind of um, categories. And here we are. 20 30 40 years later and it's like well okay well there is the category like fender can can now just be basically fender charvel can be the modded version of that jackson can be the metal version of that you know the full-on metal version of it and mm -hmm. uh yeah and then and so you in within with the fly gig stuff man that's just the the best any when you find something that's compact um and does the trick um, cause like for the longest time, I don't know if you really, you probably remember, I mean, it's like the, for a long time, you didn't dare record guitar direct. That wasn't a thing you did. No, right? no, that wasn't a thing for a long time. You had to have the amps and the right mics and the right preamps. And it had, you had to have all this hardware, um, yeah. a lot of space and you had to really know what you were doing. And I'm not saying that's still not a thing. And there's a lot of argument about that, but man, for guys like me, 
I've done plenty of sessions this last year at home using neural DSP plugins in my MacBook, you know, and they sounded great. Yeah, we we live in a an age for a while now, for a long while. I mean, since since the the line, I think line six kind of broke the game for direct stuff, right? And then like Boss was never was always you know neck and neck with a lot of stuff, but it was like I remember seeing uh, I I went to go see Mashuga on the Nothing tour right in, in Seattle and they had no amps they were yeah. just line six out to the the front of house with in-ears and I was like the future has arrived you know like the, and they sounded devastating of course I mean that's just who they are but I was like okay so do I do I copy them or could or you know I was like I was kind of confused I'm like I was I'm in the process of trying to own another Soldano amp or something you know but like do I really should I put buy a pod pro I don't know what to do here yeah yeah you're right and they had this massive tone from from these boxes and and you know I think it a lot of it just comes down to vibe you know there's a certain energy or vibe you get from different kinds of gear I read a thing once of uh it was an interview with John Petrucci and he was talking about you know he's got the fractal stuff uh, I think he's still using it. This was a couple of years back, but he said he still had a drawer in his rack that had a couple analog pedals in it. Not that the fractal didn't do those things great, but he just liked the vibe of turning knobs just to get it a certain way. It was just a vibe thing creatively. Um, yeah, that's that's been the the funny trend to watch because I remember kind of coming of age in the 80s late late 80s going into the 90s and and all this solid state stuff that was supposed to replace tubes right like you had all this ada preamps and all these different things that came out and then it was like going into the 90s the grunge started happening they're like no way bro you got to get glass and you're you know you gotta burn some glass to like be a real man and like you don't play solos like we 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 play emotional like one or two note solos and and, and then it, sw it swung the pendulum swung back that way right and then and then it's like while the grunge thing left and metal was coming back in and you you you, you got to have tube amps alongside your your metal again it wasn't just all this solid state but then it, it it's you've seen this thing where or where the technology really gets really good and it's like these boss gt 1000s the fractals the the line sixes and you're like wow this is so cool and, and everybody dives into it and it works but then like okay man it's so so much deep editing i just want to turn knobs on a an analog amp again you know and so that you know and that's i do both i have my my vht pitbull over here when I get tired of looking at a screen, I'm like, man, I'm just going to turn on a thing that like warms up and I can turn off the standby and shred. You know? Yeah. And that's, that's exactly true. Like I'll plug into the, to the orange into the rocker verb and crank it. And it's just, there's a certain thing about it, you know? Um, you know, so it's just about vibe, you know, and some people that aren't uh, to touch what we said earlier, creatively minded, they don't understand that sometimes it's, it's form over function, you know, you it's, there's a vibe. So that's very important when you're trying to create something from nothing. So, yeah. Yeah. So tell me about guitar picks. I want to know about, I, I know a little bit about your guitar pick stuff because we've worked together at Jim Dunlop and all that, but I'm, I'm curious about like where your, the relationship with the guitar pick began. Was there anybody in your world that encouraged you to play a certain kind of pick? Do you remember anything about your first couple of picks? And how did you get to play what you play now? Right. Yeah, it's a good question. And, and uh, you know, when you first start playing guitar, you might get like one of those packages where it's got the guitar and the little amp and it comes with a set of strings and some picks 
And that's kind of your introduction to like all the stuff. So we were talking about PV a minute ago, right? I had that same setup. My mom bought me like a, I think, what's the PV Strat? The PV Predator, I think, or it used to be. I don't know what it is now, but it was like a PV Strat. Came with the little Bandit amp and, you know, and, and a little bag of picks and some strings. So the picks that came with it were the really glossy, like, um, I think they had like some thins, mediums, and heavies, you know, just like the Fender style picks. I'm not sure what that material is that they use, but, you know, they're really- I think it's celluloid usually. Celluloid, yeah. And they're really, they're really slick and they come in a bunch of colors. Um, so, you know, oh, cool. So I think I just sort of gravitated towards the heavy one because, you know, when you're a teen, you're like going heavy. And it just felt right to me as far as the thickness. And I used that for a while, but then, uh, you know, when you're first playing your first few concerts, when you're, when you're playing guitar, you get really sweaty or super nervous. And I kept slipping and dropping my picks because the celluloid was just a little too slick, right? So I started looking at other options and, you know, you go to Guitar Center and they would always have the trays, all the different ones. You could grab one of these, one of these. Uh, I just got a bunch of them. I tried some of the ones that had the little thumbprint in them. You remember those? What, the, what were those called? They were purple. And they had a thumbprint. Uh, big Stubby. Yes. Yeah. I had some of those and, and all these other kinds of picks. And some of them, I, I think for a little while, I switched to using really thick ones like, uh, like two millimeters or something, you know, that's where they just had no give, no budge. And I thought that was the way to go because these are probably going to help me to play really heavy. But I think that I ended up being a very percussive player with my, I, I come down pretty hard and I was just breaking strings right and left. So I did two things. I switched to 10 gauge strings from nines and I went back a step to just like a heavy, like 0.88. And, uh, but again, the celluloid ones were too slippery. So I needed something with a little grip, but I didn't like texture on my picks. You know, I, I didn't want like the little little cross things that I could feel. It just kind of messed me up, but I needed it to be a little more slip resistant. So I started using the, uh, the classic Tortex, right? And to this day, this is what I use. And um, it's the right thickness, you know, it has a little bit of give for, for the feel, but it's thick enough to where it's, it stays rigid enough when I need a lot of fast picking. And the material, what are these made out of? So, that, well, that's... Uh... They're the Tortex. Uh, I you know I don't I forget what the actual material is called in its base form, but um, they they're they're cut out of a sheet. They're stamped out of a sheet and then tumbled right. And Dunlop has they, they pioneered that. They color coded uh, and were like the first pick company, as far as I know, to put a uh, a gauge or a, a indication of like how thick it was right. But the gauge specifically and. Uh, yeah, that like that's I mean that that green pick, man, it's so iconic. Like I can't even tell you. Like I played that same pick forever. I still I mean I oftentimes will play that pick, but I play it in the uh the uh the flow format, right? So it's a little bit different shape. Right. Uh but yeah, the uh, I I'm a 73 guy now. I like I I I've tried all the gauges and I I still play all these different gauges. I'm a pick guy. So I got all these super thick picks, all these artisan picks and people send me stuff from Germany or Spain and stuff and like somebody put my logo on a pick and I'm like, "Ah, oh, that's so cool, dude." But I always go back to uh the 73 Flow Tortex and that's been and I I I've, I've been using um I've been using I got my my Siege logo on there on uh, one side and I got my little DNA uh mandala logo on the other side but um that's cool yeah the 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 part part of what's beautiful about Tortex too 
is because of the stamping process, you stamp it out of a sheet and then it gets the, the rough edges get tumbled. Um, it's, it, it still has a, a, essentially a square edge on the, uh, on the side, right? So it's not like a smooth edge where like you get a jazz three, you get a, a regular, uh, Ultex flow. Uh, most picks that are, that are, uh, injection molded are, are made to have quick release on the strings. So they, they, they don't give you much, uh, resistance but these picks they have a certain resistance to them and they have a certain rasp right so it's not not a lot but it's just enough when we get addicted to that feel and that kind of they have a certain tone because of that you know you're so right hand conscious and i love that because like i said i think uh, i'm a very percussive player and i had to figure out kind of what worked for my picking style so to hear you talk about it and all these you know these intricate details that a lot of people don't think about a lot of people like picks a pick but it's really not it really changes everything you know not just your technique but the shape of the pick uh it's it's a big deal i once heard paul gilbert say uh, this is the gas and this is the steering so they you gotta have both right so and it's super true a lot of guys they focus so much on running scales but not enough on their picking and that's so important. And people talk about uh, my playing sometimes. I'm not trying to like talk myself up, but they say your solos are very clear. There's a lot of clarity. And um, yeah, I think that just comes from like a lot of focus on that right hand, you know? Or yeah, my- well, well, they're not wrong, man. I'll, I'll echo that statement that uh, that's part of, and I lo- what, what I also, I was going to say earlier is I love that you're playing angels guitar also because there's uh, you know, you guys are your own players, but, but I love, he's such a melodic, I, it's, it's a it's a good it's a good league to be in is what i'm saying you you fit in and should be playing a guitar that is a, akin to what he would play because you guys both are very precise players and very melodic players um so i don't know there's just something that, that just feels really right about that for the two of you you know and, and the fact that you guys are friends and the whole thing so that works out it really works out yeah well thank you for including me with him and i yeah i feel like to some degree we're kind of cut from the same rug you know, with what we, what we like out of tone and guitars and yeah. So very, very cool and uh, very grateful to him and, and you as well for, for, you know, like when you're working with Dunlop and, and team me up, cause as I recall, you actually sent me like, Hey, try these out. Like you sent me a couple varieties of picks and um, it, it was interesting to see like, wow, I really play differently with these different things. And I, I can't remember which one, but there's one that I think I preferred for the acoustic guitar I was playing, but then for the electric, it was always the green Tortex. So um and like, uh, you know, a lot of people, I know a lot of metal guys have been using the little jazz picks and maybe I'm just clumsy, but I just, I, I drop them every time. I can't hold on to those. It's a whole nother world, man. I had my buddy Zane uh, back up in Seattle. He he gave me, Zane knows Roberta too, because Zane worked at Ampeg. You might've met Zane back in the day. He's yeah. a great guitarist, uh, but he, we worked together. Our desks were close and, and I always use those green picks. And he was like, man, he's like, take this red, this little red jazz three home for you with you for the weekend. And, you know, just don't play anything else for the whole weekend and just acclimate to it. And then, you know, see what, how you feel about that green pick afterwards. And, um, <laughs> he ruined me for the, for, for Tortex for a good couple of years. All I played was jazz three for a while. Um, and I kept going through the different jazz threes to try to sort it out. But all these years later, I've circled back around and I'm back home. But um, but there was a while where you couldn't you couldn't get me off of jazz threes. That's all I wanted. But in the again, like you're saying, it's like I, I never would have done it without him telling me don't play anything else for the weekend because it's like first couple of 
strokes are like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you got to commit to it and really give it a chance. And and that's probably something I should do again. I feel like every few years, kind of like your taste buds, every few years, things change. Like I used to hate this food, but now I can't get enough. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should try some different picks again for like, like a whole weekend or something. I should have been doing that this whole last year when we were at home. <laughs> it's never too late, man. It's never too late. True. Uh, well, I would like to know, uh, we're going to, I have to close up here in, in the near future, but uh, I would like to know uh, what you're listening to these days. And if there's any players in particular that you might, maybe that not a lot of people know about that, um, that you could tell people about to go check out. Yeah. You know, uh, it's cool. Like we were saying earlier about how for a while metal kind of went out, but then it came back really strong. And it's funny. I always thought like, like when the music industry started hurting due to streaming, COVID, all these, all these things were started hurting kind of badly. Um, it was like, okay, well, metal's always been the underdog. So I don't feel like metal was hurting as bad because we were already kind of like, you know, like, I'm sorry, this hurt your, your pop artist platinum status, but like for the rest of us, this is kind of where we already were in a way. And live shows were always our bread and butter. So when I look at um, how metal players and the vibe have changed you know it, it used to be like motley crew and gnr where they were like the bad boys that went to like hip-hop and pop artists they started they they took the bad boy card so rock started relying on our musicianship and our smarts and our you know like so now you've got all these players that i've been listening to like Pliny and and you know, what tosin is doing and all these guys and they're very smart players you know there's there's so much um virtuosity in, in it but it's still very raw and emotional so I've been listening to a lot of those guys on the more new school side and I love to see that but I will always go back to of course you know we talk about Dime and Randy Rhodes and all the greats yes 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 we all love those guys but a couple dudes that always really inspired me that a lot of people they're not like overlooked but they don't talk about as often was a lot of uh the early suicidal stuff Rocky George big fan, oh, fan yeah, of yeah Rocky I don't know why a lot of people like that stuff was super melodic and it was so cool because suicidal kind of always had this sort of G thing going on and, but there were still tons of solos and it was metal at the same time. For me, that was rap rock before rap rock because it had that attitude and Rocky solos had all that attitude, but also all the feels, you know? So um, check out some suicidal, like uh, how I laugh tomorrow and I can't even smile today, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Revolution. What was that lights camera revolution those are great albums and great guitar playing so there you go i wonder what rocky's up to these days because i know he came back in the band for a hot minute and then i'm like because he was one of the dudes that was like the fabled like i never got to see him live i i seen suicidal a handful of times but it was never with rocky uh and uh i was what he always had like the overhand like he was doing cool two yeah like two hands over the top uh doing some tapping stuff and um kind of piano-ish like i don't know but i i never i never got to see that live i just wonder what he's up to these days yeah that's that's yeah and there's not a ton of like things to watch on youtube i've kind of searched him up and there's some live shows but there's not a lot of what we're used to seeing now or like playthroughs and clinics and things he didn't do a lot of that and it was a different time we didn't have that and i feel super old when i try to tell some people like younger people about that we just didn't have that at the time we're like what do you mean and i try to you're like you're like <laughs> you're like kids I hate to break this to you, but I'm older than the internet. I, <laughs> but technology has grown so much in, in recent years. And, but, you know, just to say what we were saying a minute ago, some of these newer players, the way they've utilized it 
uh, you know, guys like Pliny and Tosin and stuff that maybe wouldn't have been as popular had they come out a while back. Like the timing was right with the industry and the technology and the style and the social uh, elements. It was, it's like a Super Bowl team, like all everything has to be just right. And these guys in their own right are super famous, even though they're, it's not like they're, you know, pop stars. But, dude, there's that's always been the thing about metal. It's got this whole underground thing. You may never hear it on the radio, but it's a thing. <laughs> and a lot of people love it. Yeah, it's an interesting time uh, with, with what you're describing here. It makes me think about, um, and I know that, you know, multi-track recording has been around for a long, you know, long enough to to be able to splice things in and not have to do everything in one take. But I think the, the further you go back, the thing that younger players need to realize is that most of the time, the further you go back with these players that, that we all talk about, um, the more they had to do what they do in one take. You know, mm-hmm. the closer, the closer to it. And mo- a lot of times it was that. And so it was, uh, <clears throat> you got, you got like artists like Steve Vai, even like when he started out doing stuff with Zappa and the Zappa years and stuff like that, like you have, you have been, you know, yes, there was the ability to splice in, but like, if you didn't, I mean, you didn't try to like go into the studio going, all right, I'm just going to do a bunch of takes and you're going to, you know, we're going to comp together a couple of things and I'll learn it afterwards. That's, right. that's not what we did, you know? Like, that's not how it worked. You came in, you might do a bunch of takes. That's great. That's beautiful. That's fine. But you got to choose one. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, right? You come with your guns loaded. Yeah. Yeah. So I, in some ways, I think that, um, I think that, 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 you know, that could be missing and a missing element for some people in the, this day and age. Although um, I think that the kids, so to speak, uh, have it better because, uh, us kids have have it better than our, our predecessors because of that opportunity to 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 come in with a general feeling and oftentimes it's not even coming into a real studio it's coming into our our home studio and well, with a MacBook or something you know and we we can do it as many times as we want and we can you know edit things but you could come in with a general vibe, do 10 takes and be like, oh, you know what? The first part of that and the second part of that, they work out, you splice them together and then you go back and you learn you, you learn that thing. And so you, we have the opportunity to kind of refine things more than our, you know, than our forefathers, so to speak. Because they didn't, they didn't have that. They just had to come in, like you said, guns loaded and all right, man, get her done. Yeah. You know, and you do what you got to do to create a good album. But I really still think live is the true test of art. You know, like it should be it should be like sports. You know, like I want an element of is he going to catch it? Is he not? Is he going to nail that solo? Is he going to sing that high note? There should be an element of what if. And uh, I think that goes for any kind of art, you know, even visual art. Everybody can be a good photographer now with their iPhone, but nothing is going to replace the beauty of witnessing it in person. Right. No, that's, that's a good point. Would you, do you think, uh, so like for, for you, when you, you I, I, cause you have ultimate domain over your own solo material. Do you, when you perform, so you create something on your canvas and then when you go live, are you, are you predominantly looking to recreate that note for note vibe for vibe, or do you like to stray a little bit and kind of give the live experience a little something different? How do you yeah. approach that? Yeah, I mean, usually I, I like to do things pretty close to what you hear on the album, with the exception of there might be some runs where I embellish a little bit. 
just to give you a little something different, you know, but as long as you hit those main notes, people want to hear the sing along notes. Um, that's important. But the rest of the time, I think it's cool to extend a section or do a different run or uh, like dime. We keep referencing dime. He would do things where he would like skip a whole run and instead he just hit some one crazy harmonic. Like, wow, that was even better than the album, which was a crazy <laughs> one note for live. Just wow. You know, um, so knowing yeah. how to channel in that wow uh, in a live scenario that maybe doesn't work on the album. You know how it is. There's some things that work in a listening scenario that don't live. So figuring that out and finding that balance, I think that's what experience from guys our age, I think that's what affords you. Sometimes you find young players that have that. That's amazing. But sometimes I think you have to build up to that. Yes, because it's interesting because like being raised on a guy like uh, like like Dimebag is a great example of it because you, you, you I mean, I've seen him six times live and that, I feel like at this point in, in history, I feel like, man, I, I didn't really truly know how lucky I was because nobody knew how things would end, right? So, um, but seeing him live so many times and watching a crap ton of videos, you know, and all that stuff too, you like you'd hear him do this love solo a little different yeah. every other night, you know? It's like it's the main parts are there, but he like he liked to kind of veer off a little bit and do these little things and that takes a certain that's a certain kind of calm confidence and really be like it ain't no thing dog i'm gonna just gonna throw this out we're good you know yeah. so something different for you tonight you know whereas the younger you are in a lot of ways i don't want to say it's not all based on age but i think that maybe the the less experienced right it might be uh, oh, I gotta, I gotta hold this up and and show them that I can pull off the thing that's on the album, yeah. right? And it's more more of that proving ground, and then eventually, um, maybe you get to evolve to like giving a different solo each night. I don't know, but and I think knowing your fans too. Like I think some artists, if they are to veer too far off of the album, the fans aren't happy. They want to hear exactly what they what they want to hear. Um, but yeah, sometimes, especially in a group like Pantera, where it was meant to be imperfect, it was meant to be a little ugly and crazy at times, you know, that's what the fans wanted. So it per worked perfectly, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's awesome, man. Well, th dude, thank you so much for, for taking the time and, and, and sharing some cool stories and telling us about how you got to where you're at. I'm really excited about uh, what comes next for you. You know, and all the different capacities, um, both with w rocking these two great gigs side by side, and and I'm really interested in this solo project and how that evolves and who t who picks it up and makes the movie out of it. I'm real. I want to know. Like, I'll, I I want to be there. Um, and uh, yeah, man, just thank you for everything. Thanks for uh, the friendship through the years. And, Absolutely. Um, thank you. And, uh, please tell the lady I say hi. And uh, if you and if you see Roberta anytime soon, give her a hug for me. Please. I will. I, I try to get out there and see her pretty often, regardless of if I'm working or not, you know, and um, if I'm ever up your way in Chico, I'll come, come say, Hey. Yeah. Anytime, man, you and the lady uh, are welcome. I got an extra bedroom, extra mountain bikes. We we got swimming up in the, up in the Canyon and lots of places to have drinks and good food around here. So I'll take care of you. Healthy body, healthy mind, dude. That's one of the things I've always loved about you. Good balance. Uh I do my best. I definitely do the beer and I, and I do the yoga, you know, like. <laughs>
All right, yeah. Neil. Well, thanks again, man. Hope you have the best day ever, dude. And uh, let's be in touch, okay? Absolutely, man. Take care. Players Pick Podcast. Picks and Perspective with Chris Johnson.